Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about A Quiet Place Part 2, and I'm happy to be joined by, I think he's earned the title of Thriller Correspondent, if nothing else, Graham Hall. Graham, thanks for joining. I like that title, my friend. Good to be back here. Uh, For the second time in a month after we talked Spiral a couple of weeks ago, uh, I gotta say, this one... I was much more keen on returning to the theaters for this experience because uh, I I had a great experience at the movie theater for the first one, and and this one really had me keen on getting back here, man. Yeah, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. I mean, at this point, every time you go back, I think the theaters are going to be more full, more cities are opening up more, and uh, just more people are going to get comfortable with it. So, and, and, And just like the conceit of this, it's cool to see movies like Spiral that give you a lot of like, oh shit, and really squeamish moments in theaters. Uh, but like, there's also, I think, a whole different element to seeing a movie like A Quiet Place in a theater where I think you're going to get some moments like that, but also just like it's so enhanced by the silence and not having any external stimuli like you might if you're watching something at home. So I was uh, very excited to see this as well and, and excited to talk about it with you. Uh, a Quiet Place Part 2 takes place. Well, it takes place both before and after the events of 2018's A Quiet Place. It's uh, written and directed by John Krasinski, and who directed and uh, co-wrote and starred in the first one along with his wife, Emily Blunt, and child actors Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe, who also returned for this one. But uh, John Krasinski also returned as an actor for this one because uh, the movie uh, kind of picks up as a bit of a, uh, a little bit of a pre- prequel to the – not a prequel, but like a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a flashback to b- before the events of the first movie when uh, the Abbott family is uh, just attending Marcus's baseball game, Marcus being the son played by Noah Jupe. And you get the you get to kind of follow Lee – John Krasinski's Lee around the town a little bit as he's on his way to the game, and you get a picture of just how nice and quaint and uh, friendly their town was. And then they're at a baseball game, and all of a sudden they see a big flaming object just kind of headed towards the earth, and people exit, not really sure what's going on, but pretty soon those alien creatures we got to know in the first movie uh, start attacking everyone, and uh, you just kind of see how they wreak havoc on the town. And then we jump back to the present day, where at the end of the first movie, uh, we had seen that Evelyn, played by Emily Blunt, and and the kids, they've kind of figured out that Reagan, their deaf daughter, uh, her cochlear implant can emit a high frequency that would kind of uh, put the monsters on their heels and let, let, leave them to expose themselves to the point where they weren't as bulletproof as they normally were. And they were able to kill one. And at, at, saw at the end of the first movie that their house was about to be surrounded by a couple more. And we were kind of led to see that they got out and they're on their way to find more people. And they end up uh, kind of stumbling upon uh, – uh, one place uh, where Killian Murphy is holed up. He plays Emmett, who is an old friend of theirs, who has now lost his whole family, though not only to the monsters. His wife died more recently. And he and Millicent Simmons, Reagan, end up kind of going off to try and find other people after they uh, find a frequency playing uh, Beyond the Sea, which uh, Reagan takes as a bit of a, a sign that maybe there are some other people out there, but they got to get a boat. And uh, Evelyn and Marcus are going to try and... Uh, hole up and get more supplies and protect the baby that was born at the end of the first movie who now is now making use of that big crate that John Krasinski's Lee put together in the first one but that needs oxygen too and that's its own storyline so a lot going on here the world has expanded a bit and uh yeah Graham I guess my first question would be uh how did you how do you think this movie built on that world the first one because it did get a little wider and how how did you like the movie overall and how was your experience informed by as we kind of discussed earlier getting to see this one in a theater I thought it did a really good job expanding the world uh, while also keeping it really, really close to home. 
it did that by, as you mentioned there, with the baseball scene early on in the movie, by showing some of their neighbors in their community, people who may have possibly survived nearby them. I thought that that was really effective uh, as a callback. And it also serves, you know, I guess a little bit of a spoiler, but, you know, we are talking about a, a sequel. But it also serves as John Krasinski's only moments really in the movie, which uh, I, I think is just a casual, you know, reminder that he, he, you know, is carrying this movie from behind the scenes, behind the lens now, just as director. I, I know the promos don't really hide away from that, shy away from revealing that whatsoever, but you, you don't really fully come away from this movie, you know, thinking that he's not a part of it unless you, uh, you really remember, but it picking up directly right after five minutes after the first one, I thought was extremely effective right after you saw the callback scene. I, th- I thought that was really, really well done um, because uh, you are left on a big cliffhanger. What is going to happen now that there's some promise in this dark world that they can go out and actually make a difference. And, and that is the plot really keen on using the new technology, the, the, the previous technology to become a, a difference when it comes to defeating these creatures, these aliens. And initially her, her mom and, and her brother are extremely hesitant towards doing that. But then obviously she decides to go off on her own and Killian Murphy follows her because he's asked to do so. And I said to you before we were recording, this is where things kind of got very, you know, I liked that this is the direction that they were going with it, but I could understand why some people thought that this was a tried and true formula before. In my opinion, I was getting huge, huge vibes about The Last of Us, the video game from Naughty Dog. That's probably one of the top Sony video games of the last decade that also has received a sequel. Um, within the past two years and involves a a girl that is the key to the future in this apocalyptic future she is the key must go on this perilous journey a man who doesn't have any relation to her but becomes her pseudo biological father for a time being because he has to protect not only this young girl who's extremely vulnerable, but she's the key to the future. And that's where I got this major vibes with their storyline. But as you and I were talking about, you know, when you expand and make new movies, you're bound to use previous plot devices and, and motifs. And I movie did a good job at staying fresh while also reminding viewers uh, of stuff that they've seen before. And I think even doing an impressive job on it, uh, building upon it, if you reuse a, a plot point or or anything like that, if you don't do a better job of it, people are going to come away even more critical, I think. And, and part of why this movie was effective is it, it reused something that we've seen before and still managed to stay really fresh. Yeah, I think it's important that you what you noted about uh millicent simmons reagan uh playing a big part in this movie i think that um, this isn't a novel point that i'm making but a big part of the uh first movie was just what what were the parents and i think emily blunt almost takes a back seat to the kids in this movie and whereas the first movie is like hey what are these how far are these parents willing to go for their kids and uh just how hard are they willing to fight here it's like i think the movie stays fresh by like being like all right what lessons are these kids going to learn from their dad uh you know 
because the, the kids react very differently where, you know, uh, they just saw their dad get killed in that first movie. And Marcus is like, I don't want to end up like him. We need to be as conservative as possible with what we're doing here. And it's kind of rational that someone would think that after they see their dad get killed. But at the same time, uh, I think Reagan is kind of inspired by her dad and wants to go out and do something about it. And uh, so visually, we're getting something different and they, they encounter some different types of characters along the way in addition to Emmett. And that just makes it feel fresh and different from that first movie you don't want to just have it be bunkered down having to fight aliens the whole time you want it to be something different and i was really impressed by just i thought i mean i thought it was a pretty fulfilling story in that way that didn't feel too repetitive even if a lot of the stuff that you get out of going to a movie like this is still present i i, I told my friend i saw it with after, daniel who everyone that listens to the podcast knows daniel pretty well because he's on here a lot i told him after we saw it like hey I feel like I'm getting manipulated by these movies sometimes because it's like they do go back to that same well, but this the conceit in the premise of these movies is so effective where you just tense up every time anyone does anything that, all right, well, I guess that is giving me some of that kind of feeling I want when I go to a movie like this. So it still has plenty of that. But there's just uh, a lot, a lot more, to, a lot more on the story on the bone with respect to what these kids are going through than you really got from them. I would say in the first movie, especially. I mean. They, they, don't get me wrong, they play an important role in the first movie, but they carry a lot more weight here, and I think it works. This movie does a really good job of incorporating, quote, jump scares, but they're never really necessarily the scariest moments in the movie, and that's where I'm all for them being added into movies, where moments that just keep you consistently on the edge of your seat in a movie that's consistently filled with dread, I think effective movie technique because it just keeps the viewer consistently like you just said awaiting whatever's going to happen whatever's going to be around any corner even if it's not a creature or even if it's not with a gun it's just aggressive and making you gasp even whether it's you know the lock closing on a door uh, um, with the towel anything like that I I think that perfect job of and, and they all benefit of being like you said conservative with sound I, I think that we're still really realizing we're in the infancy really of in hollywood where engineers and and audio are still finding unique ways to add innovative uh pieces and sound to movies in, in ways that haven't been done before we saw it last year with sound of metal we've seen it consistently with with with, with movies in Hollywood for several years now, now where I think are consistently be raised in this movie, what it did several years, with a, a huge lack of dialogue throughout the movie with a reliance on many quiet pieces to set the movie. I mean, it just went against what many people thought was the formula. Yeah. And, and for I... making horror movies in this movie, this movie does it now with jump scares. It, for a long time, there was a sentiment growing in Hollywood. You, you couldn't do that. It was a sign that you're really scary. And I, I think you're seeing that dissipate a whole lot now, where as long as you use them effectively and don't make them the most scary, critical moments of your movie, I, I think they have a huge effective purpose, and this movie showed that. Yeah, two things there. I One, I agree on the jump scare point because I think – the reason for that is where a lot of the scariest movies aren't the jump scares is because of its attention to detail. Uh, you mentioned the, the towel thing, and 
I, I would you call that a an incinerator that they're hiding out in? Furnace. Furnace, yeah. Uh, or, or something where, yeah. Yeah, well, so they, they've already used that thing a few times at that point in the movie, and you and you kind of understand how that towel works. So even if the character doesn't realize it right away, like you see that as soon as he gets in that thing and just doesn't put that towel in there to um, help uh, keep the thing op- open enough, I mean, it, your, your, your heart is racing for like, three minutes before the even before the characters is and uh so like that was just like a very and then that that was just it was just very very effective in that way and there are multiple moments like that where i mean i think part of it is because like you're, you're not really scared about the thing jumping out you're scared about the thing someone making a noise because then the aliens are going to be on their way so just basically anytime anyone steps foot near anything or that moment at the end where they're near the radio station and someone uh, is about to kick off the little. Um, she's putting her foot through that one into that one recording studio, and you just see all the different things on the desk it could hit. And you, I'm just like wincing every time her foot gets near anything. I mean, the movie is just very effective with moments like that. But the other thing I noted, I want to note that you said, uh, and you and you and you shouted out Sound of Metal, which I think, as you noted at the end of the last podcast, was your number one movie of last year. It won the Oscar for best sound. Uh, and I think this movie does something similar to that in that uh, a couple times you drop into Reagan's perspective. And you might have rewatched the first one more recently than me. I don't remember how often that one utilized that, if at all, where all of a sudden you're hearing things from the perspective of her, and by that I mean you're hearing nothing. Uh, I don't I don't remember if the first one did that. If it, I haven't rewatched the first one in a while, so pardon me if, if, if this wasn't novel, but it just jumped out to me here. And a couple times, like, it does that, and it's just... It's very effective in Sound of Meadow because, like, you know that this guy is, like, not that far removed from a life where that wasn't the case. So once you're put into that, you can just easily feel how disorienting that might be for him because, I mean, most of the people that are watching it that aren't deaf or hard of hearing are going to kind of be experiencing something similar to what he experiences. Uh, Here, this is someone that, like, is pretty sure lived her whole life as deaf, and that's why the whole family knew sign language at the start of the thing and probably part of why they could survive so long. So I'm not thinking about it from that perspective, but just you're thinking about how scary it is because, I mean, all of a sudden, like, she doesn't have her cochlear implant in at all, and she can't hear anything. And all of a sudden, we don't – she doesn't know how much sound she's making anytime she touches anything. So that makes every single action she takes, like – all the more scary and disorienting, and I just thought that was very effective in that way too. And it, kudos for a movie like this that, as you noted earlier, could have like been repetitive in so many ways, and is going to be repetitive in some ways because of the because of the conceit of this franchise. But it found like different ways to disorient and confuse and scare the audience, and uh, good job by it for that. Yeah, I'm with you absolutely. I, I thought that, and that's an example of what I was just talking about with innovations in sound. I don't think it drove home in the first movie. I'm going to say, like you said it, maybe I just don't remember it. I don't think it drove home the contrast between the aliens and, and Reagan as much in the first movie because you have someone who really can't hear it at all, who hears everything, and the alien side being, you know, the antagonist. And those two parallels, you know, that's an extremely interesting contrast to dive into, and I think that they actually did that this movie there with those scenes they go from her perspective with no sound i mean in the radio station there she doesn't know what sounds she's making the creaking of the door so that she needs to be watching out for the alien coming for her i mean that is a vulnerability i don't think that they fully first one too much is how vulnerable she is with not knowing how loud she's being and, and seeing that really effectively driven home in this movie i thought was a good expansion on what she's been dealing with absolutely uh 
I thought she was extremely um, effective in that scene at the boat, at, at the pier, the two contrasting scenes yeah. of when she's at the pier and at the same time they're running out of air back home. I'm Eddie is just through the roof in that scene. And it, if you're not believing that she's in genuine danger, that, that he has a plan that could save them. I mean, not only for, not only are they facing the threat of, the aliens now but they're facing um what is a constant a constant plot line in shows like the walking dead and, and their zombie movies where they face hostile outsiders and you have to contend with that amongst the other real thought it did a very big of turning tables on on that i mean they looked clever the scene with the little girl there crying at the end of the dock i thought was incredibly scary and it still managed to be effective and give you some some plot expansion with well yeah so being I, vulnerable or not being able to swim yeah so i was going to ask you about that uh as far as just expanding the universe in that way uh i, I guess i'll ask you about the the feral humans first before i go back to killian murphy um because I've, I've heard some critics say that like they didn't like that, and that part of the movie didn't work as as much for them. But I, I mean, I don't know. It might not. Have, it might not have been quite as interesting to me as seeing what the the where the island they ultimately made it to was. And don't worry about spoiling this movie, Graham. It's a sequel, so anyone that like, I don't think anyone's gonna like listen to a podcast about a sequel if they haven't already like decided they're gonna see that they like the first one enough to see the second. But you know the. Uh, as far as when they did encounter those people, one, I did not initially realize that Scoot McNary was playing one of those feral humans. And uh, so if I had, I might have been a little more distracted, like I think some of the critics were. Uh, and Because he, he's like a really good actor, and you just assume he's going to have a bigger role once you see him pop up in something. Uh, but I I was like, you know, it does kind of make sense, because they'd already set it up a little bit earlier where Killian Murphy's uh, um, Emmett like, it indicated that he had seen some of what else was out there. And... Uh, so you, you you did know he was kind of referencing some other type of human element, and I mean I, I suppose if you're you've been living almost for two years in this kind of world, like it might have some really like messed up effect on some other people. Uh, so I guess it didn't necessarily feel like anything that was too out there for them to do. And that scene on the dock was like uh, very very well executed, and it was impress and kind of clever in the way that they. Uh, try and set these people up where they like make some noise and then dive in the water. Uh, how, so it sounds like you kind of agree and that you thought that the movie was um, didn't necessarily go off the rails in any regard at that point. Yeah, I, I didn't think it, it went off the rails in that part. If anything, I guess you could maybe knock its lack of believability that there would be this, like I said, this girl, the dock, and creatures, or especially a, you know, a high-pitched cry, that, that seems like it's going to attract aliens right there. Um, but no, I, I think it did a good job in the first movie about making you believe that everyone was fending for themselves, that they balanced this, and that so that included there, even it was less about, it included the knowledge that you really couldn't, your neighbors, you couldn't trust your outsiders, uh, because as I said, you know, every previous TV show and movie has warned people it is to associate with anyone in, in, the, in, a, in a situation so I thought that that was just that you know there are people outside that could harm them who are, are, are aliens are, are worse than aliens in a sense when it comes I think someone and then being tricked I mean that is exactly 
what the situation is. I mean, this is still two people who are on their mission here, but they see a young girl who needs help, and that has been done time and time again, so I could understand knocking it for that, but I still thought, because I'm sitting here for the first two hours that we've seen Quiet Place, and you are kind of, I think, one when bad guys because even in the scene in the beginning when running through you're wondering that and oh man are they going to shot at you know, something going to happen to them or are they going to be shot at and then it turns out that you know even though he's uh, helped them at first it turns out that it's someone from their past someone that they know we had yet to really see a human was going to be harmful to them so living that naively until that point and didn't get subvert uh, the belief at that point that everyone was willing to help each other in an apocalypse because that's definitely not the case. Yeah, well, for one, it's, it, you know, one thing that obviously it, it's hard not to reference every now and then when talking about these movies is The Walking Dead, and that's a direction that, like, I mean, I, I would say I stopped watching that show, I think, sometimes around the fourth or fifth season, but, you know, at some point, you know, the zombies or monsters or in movies of this sort, they can only really be a compelling villain for so long before you need to open up the world a little bit, so I think it was... I mean, it makes sense to kind of go in that direction and like have human bad guys, and but then to have one human that's like against hurting the other ones, I think, or against then to then have one human that is against necessarily automatically helping the other one just because they see another human. I agree with you. That's a logical subversion. Though I wasn't quite sure what his aims were, uh, what Emmett's aims were. Like we learned about how he has no family anymore, and he just but he wants these people out at the same time. Doesn't exactly look like he has like the best quality of life he's trying to preserve. Maybe he just thinks he just wants to survive just to survive, and he'll just be able to do it more easily if he doesn't have these people hanging out. But at that point, when he's just lost his family, you know, you think might maybe, you know, making some good happen in the world might be a thing. And at that point, I was just like, man. Well, for one, I was also a little confused when uh, his bear trap uh, gets uh, gets Marcus and uh, looks in a pretty gnarly moment. And I was like, what is quite the point of this? And I was talking to... Um, my friend Adam last night who, who had just seen it and he was like, well, I think the idea being that like, he didn't want anyone coming into his place, but to me, it kind of looked like, oh, you've just set these traps here that could like cause a human to scream and then just bring more monsters into the area. So that kind of confused me at one point. And then once he got there and he's so adamant on them leaving, I'm like, I don't really get what your goal is here though. I did kind of appreciate that where it ultimately went with that storyline. And he was kind of inspired by Reagan and enough to like actually help her and go against uh, everything he was saying he wanted in life at, at to that point in the movie, once he kind of goes and rescues her at everyone's request, and she convinces him, like, look, there might be something else out there. We need to try and do this. So I, I, I think Killian Murphy's a very good actor, and I enjoyed doing what he said. I was just a bit confused by that character at the first play, in the first point, but I liked where it ultimately went with him, and I liked the chemistry that he ultimately had with the actress that plays Reagan. I think they're attempting to feel that Reg inspires him to stop just sitting on his ass and to go out there and do something and try and make a difference. I mean, he's sitting there seeing a, a 12-year-old girl try and sacrifice everything, journey out there to where he's scared of, and he has to be feeling pretty weak about that. Same thing with a bear trap. I think that a bear trap is kind of a microcosm of his character, in a sense, here. He's willing to... Uh, harm others, protect his area, but he's doing it in a, not only a not very smart way, but a way that just requires very little action on his own part. I mean, trapping someone in a bear trap, leading them, leaving them to suffer, it, it's who he is right now. He's just wanting to stay inside and, and not really do anything. But I think then it, you, you see a family that is 
willing to venture out, desperate, and has the key, and that kind of inspires him. He he feels pretty weak when Emily Blunt is begging him to go out there, and he's saying no. I mean, that's got to be making him feel weak as a as a <laughs> as a person. And then when you think about what happened to his family, I mean, he probably is sitting there motivated for some type of personal redemption. He's probably been himself about it and, and how he couldn't do anything about it to save them and so now he has a chance at personal redemption I thought that that was what they were trying to portray and make the viewer feel like in, in terms of his inspiration I just I don't know if they fully nailed it went to feeling it in the moment and rooting for him in the moment um, I, I, I just think that anytime you're going also from a powerful presence like John Krasinski a new character who already is kind of timid and weak to act in a sense, you're just necessarily going to be building people a letdown when it comes to his character because they're going to be comparing him consistently to John Krasinski. And I, I thought that um, if you do that, you are going to be setting yourself up for, for disappointment. But we also wanted to be very, very clear that there's multiple different types of people out there and they can't just have him be a replacement. For John Krasinski. Yeah, I think. Well, I think the movie kind of invites some of those comparisons in an odd way, where like they're they're in the they're in his bunker for like five minutes, and all of a sudden, uh, both Marcus and Reagan are yelling at him basically about how you're not our dad. You can't you you can't tell us what to do. It's like, well, you did just kind of crash his place, you know. Like he's trying to like you know make some points, convey how he thinks things should be done. He's, you can at least hear his opinion on something without screaming at him about how he's not your dad. He wasn't necessarily trying to like tell you what time to go to bed or something like that. Uh, but, I, but I mean, I, but so yeah, I, I was a little, I was again, I mean, I still really like the movie overall. It's just, that was like one of my smaller criticisms was that like, I, I wasn't exactly sure what they were going for with him at first. So it kind of also can make sense that like, Hey, he's going to be a little more all over the place uh, initially when uh, you know, he's, um, when he's just kind of went through, gone through a lot of trauma in himself, and I get that the guy might be in a weird place, and uh, and ultimately I did like where th- how they how they ultimately did redeem him. Um, I, I want to jump to the uh, well, I guess you know I, I was about to say I was going to jump to the um, to the uh, sequence on the on the barrier island, but I guess it's you know it's almost not like a, a one na- one uh, continuous sequence because they actually do a lot of jumping back and forth but uh first of all what did what did you think of them making it to actually finally making it to that island uh and i think one of the i I give the movie credit myself for them almost like you know not letting that sequence go on too long before you find that one of the monsters is crashed but at the same time i also found myself like kind of curious as like how life might work somewhere like that um, just because, like, how have these people been surviving for that long? I get it, the governor got there in the first place, but it still takes a while to, like, survive, it still takes a lot to survive in the, the world as it is, and they seem like they're doing it in a pretty, uh, relaxed way. Uh, but at the same, but, like, there's a version of this movie where, hey, it just ends there, and then the second, and then the next movie is about them, like, you know, needing to go back out or something, and things get more dangerous, and, and the movie upends your expectations a little bit, and I I respected that it had the balls to go there. Uh, what did you ultimately think about uh, how they kind of found this safe harbor, but was only so safe for so long? I thought it was a cool buildup, and, you know, I, I think the concept of there being a safe haven out there is incredibly intriguing. I did kind of, this is tough for me, because I, I, I thought it was done well at the time but looking back on it i I just kind of see it as like a a time killer in a sense here because while it is you know it is ultimately what drives the the plot i mean 
in a sense, I kind of felt like, oh man, they, you know, they, they blew up this people's solitude by their attempts to come and with their solution to the world. I mean, let's be honest. They, they were, they were at, they were asking for them to come though. They were playing the song. They were playing the song for them to come, but they brought creatures. And I don't know if you ever saw the guilt conveyed, um, with Regan and, and, and Cillian Murphy, where you ever felt like, oh man, they felt bad because it is all in pursuit of their mission. So it was, you know, not their intentions to get these people's community upended, but ultimately it was their actions that did cause that. And you never saw any type of remorse or anything. And I, I know that, the, you know, trying to stay PG 13 isn't going to make you witness all these scenes with Regan feeling deep guilt and possibly causing multiple deaths from her trying to get over there. But point aside, I thought that it was a good, um, like I said, with the point about jump scares, I did think it was a good moment where you have a moment of positivity that is quickly, quickly becomes a horrible scenario, worst case scenario type thing where you're looking at, oh man, maybe the possibility of life exists out here you know these people have been living for a year and a half on this island since the incident maybe maybe this is the future maybe we have a chance and how quickly that is upended i thought was effective in that way but i i, I did think it could have been done a little bit better they also they also they also as cast uh they also cast two-time oscar nominee jaiman hansu as one of the as one of the leaders of that island and uh, the the fact that he th- that in and of itself is like a I guess a smart role if if you're will you're, you can get a name that big to then uh to, to then just like uh, or to die like ten minutes in because that gives you like that just kind of catches you off guard and you just would not see that coming you know because uh, you're just expecting that guy to play a bigger role so that was fairly effective too. Yeah, I thought that was really effective because I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this guy's gonna be the key for them. He's gonna mm-hmm. lead them moving forward and take him to the radio station and all this stuff and give him guns. And that clearly does not happen whatsoever. I did think it was a little bit silly in a sense, I guess maybe this is some retrospection, some revisionist history here, but I did think it was a little bit silly how quickly these people went from jolly all around campfire hanging out to having their entire way of life wrecked by the creatures um because it i mean they didn't have any defenses it seemed like they thought that it was no possibility that they could even get there whatsoever across the sea they didn't have any well because the, the creatures you know, can't the creatures can't swim so i wouldn't say that's irrational you know so they so, they, so you know i would have thought that at least they would have every apocalypse situation has a, a watch true or or a guard or someone watching the area and to not even be watching the shoreline, you know, I understand resources and there's a lot of coastline, you know, make every justification possible for them. I just would have thought that, you know, you could have got a scene where, you know, I mean, their family was able to devise a red light situation on the farm. You know, how cool would it be to see a notification symbol system coming from down the shoreline because a guy spots a creature coming and then they have like 30 seconds to try and react how quickly it just ripped through their community i thought was a little bit silly like these people had a year and a half to, to set some stuff up and all they could build was a campfire come on well yeah it's a fair point but though i do like that they this place existed at all because uh you know one thing i think was you know i i 
you know, we'll talk. We're going to talk a little bit at the end about how how far we want this franchise to go and how many different directions you want it to go. But I, at first, I was a little negative about it. My initial reaction when I saw the movie because it just felt like a lot of the turns it took in the last fifteen minutes were about setting up another movie. But as I thought about it a little more, I had a clear idea of what the third movie would be. You know, the fa- the fact that this island could even exist, and we learned that like the government found out early on in the attacks that they couldn't swim, so they they got people to islands like that one as soon as they could. That implies there might be more places like that. But now, going into the third movie, our characters are equipped with like pretty important knowledge, meaning being that these creatures can't swim. Uh, unfortunately, they they they, they kind of help the creatures, uh, you know, get across the water to this one safe haven. But uh, you know. Presumably, this third movie, if it's going to be the end of these characters, who knows how many other TV shows or uh, spinoff movies they could do. But if it's going to be the end for these characters, it, it's presumably going to be about us seeing if they can get to a different safe place and reunite. Because at the end of this movie, Regan's not with her mom and her brothers. Uh, so it, they're going to have to go back and find them, but then try and get to a different safe place. But they have a, another tool in their disposal to get to that safe place, which is their knowledge about the water. And... They 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 can they'll presumably have the right equipment, but they you know I think they can get a little more into the nitty gritty about how you might actually survive because that this movie was not as preoccupied with that in large part because it only seems like it takes place over the course of a few days. But if we want to see how the survival aspect of this works at this point, because we kind of picked up where they are in the first movie with them already having been living this life for a year, they kind of already had it figured out. Now we're gonna have to see them like really scramble, you know, for for food, for medicine, for oxygen, for any of that stuff. So I personally kind of like those types of details. So if the third movie will be be a combination of them having to like be, us seeing how they survive on that level, while also like fighting the monsters with a little more uh, a few more resources and finding a new place to go, I think there's a way that that's interesting and still feels fresh in its own right. Uh, so th- that, 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 that's why I'm still glad they had this detour in the movie, even if it kind of like, it felt like it got kind of cut off before it even had a chance to start in the first place. But I would also say that the, the sequence at, on the island was very, very, uh, it, it was very tense. And I, I got to give John Krasinski credit. I think he's gotten very good at doing this kind of thing. Uh, a quiet place was like, obviously a big breakout hit for him. He had directed a couple other movies that were very different in this nature, but it's clear that he's like gotten very good at directing suspenseful thriller type sequences and what what did you think lastly about how the movie kind of did wind down with like cutting between the sequence at the radio station on the island but also going back to the bunker where Evelyn was trying to help um help Marcus survive how did the, how did those kind of like dueling action scenes work for you because I think that was a choice to that was a, a choice that a deliberate choice that they made to like shoot it that way as opposed to like doing one and then the other and they could have done it differently chronologically if they wanted to but they decided to do it that way I loved how they spliced those scenes the two story storylines and consistently built off each other i thought the editing was really good really well done in this movie i thought that how they built like said, the anxiety of each other in each scene so you couldn't really have a moment to rest because the minute you cut from one scene to the next one you were invested in the other plot um i, I thought that that was just really well done even until the end of it maybe you could say here that it killed some suspense with each angle because you're there's so much tension going on that you uh, kind of expect one or, or, or you expect both of them to come out right rather than one go the wrong way and one go the right way. You're expecting them just to both to come to the resolution that you all want when it's done that way. And I, I don't necessarily feel that when I'm watching like a, a signs type ending or the ending to quiet place one where it's all in on the final 10 minutes and they, they go back to the eerie suspense. No one makes a sound when, when you go, to a very action-packed ending, I think that it, it kind of goes against what made your movie so effective through 
entire 90 minutes before it. But in this case, I really think it worked pretty well where they had used that effectively beforehand, doing the two scenes and splicing the two storylines together. And then to go back to that at the end, I thought was extremely effective. And also, yeah, I'm with you. I did think that there were some choices that were noticeably made for world building. I mean, and I can't blame them for that whatsoever. Anytime you get a sequel greenlit by a major studio, Paramount is going to fund your next sequel film. I mean, I think you have to go all in on, on trying to milk that cash cow as long as possible, whether it's setting up future world building out there and, in this case, adding in a lot of people on the outside, creating the possibility, like you said, that there could be um, other settlements out there that have survived this long, that we're going to have to see what happens now after the radio station. And then it also separates the world building from its own original storyline. I, I think you come away from this movie definitely thinking, oh, they are making a third movie where after the first one, I, ne- I didn't necessarily come away 100% feeling like, oh, this is going to have a sequel. One, maybe because I think it was less of a sure thing and it was its own new movie. You didn't really have that guarantee. You didn't have any source material or, or books backing it to have a lot of fan support. It really just relied on the success of the first movie. And so this movie went all in on creating a franchise, creating a world in the future. And I, I thought that you know, kudos to them for doing it because so few get that opportunity to create a new franchise off just a comic books or other type of source material backing it. I mean, we keep we, we keep talking about The Walking Dead and other things like that, but we forget that there was already a pre-established community of fans that were rooting to see all these other storylines come into the fold because of the comics and the graphic novels and the other forms of the me- and mediums that the stories have been portrayed in. I mean, this is asking people to be fully invested in the possibility of a new franchise out there just solely off of the two movies you've seen so far. So it's a huge gamble and I can understand why they try sow those seeds in this movie. And I I thought it did a pretty effective job of it. Yeah. So last question before we give our final thoughts on the movie, before we started recording, you sent me a story, which I had seen the other day about how uh, Jeff Nichols, who's a very uh, well-respected director who uh, did movies such as loving midnight special, take shelter, mud, he is going to be writing and directing a spin-off movie of this, and which was surprising to me because he's a director that's shown he can get his original ideas made. But he, he, he had my, so it kind of catches my attention when a, a director that has that's known for making a lot of different original movies, uh, for whatever reason, uh, must have had a really good idea if he was willing to sign on to this and do a spin-off. I mean, who knows? I think it maybe maybe John Krasinski had some part in developing the idea that whatever it's going to be, but uh, a movie that's going to come out in the early 2023 that's going to be a, a spin-off in this universe. So that could also explore some of these other parts of the world that I'm thinking that the, a, a third Quiet Place movie uh, could look at as well. I don't know. My thing is that, like, I, I really like him as a director, so I mean, I'll see that movie when it comes out, but I also see everything. But I'm also, like, a little hesitant to say I need to spend that much time in this world. I, 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 I'd be curious. Like, I already explained what I could think a third Quiet Place movie could look like. I don't know if I need that much more. I mean, were you uh, were you into enough of the things that you saw in A Quiet Place 2 that you're just gonna that you're really then into the idea of an expanded Quiet Place universe? Or are you just like, eh, I'll see the third movie and I'm good? As long as it's well done, mm-hmm. I, I'm all for seeing it. You know, it's kind of like Cloverfield with me. I'm okay with 
making it a quiet place universe and then creating separate original storylines with different directors that have little tie in to the current universe just outside of the main plots of what's going on. I'm, I'm very for that. I mean, if they go and do a movie like 10 Cloverfield Lane, where it's, it takes place in a really small location and, and you don't have to make all these huge tie-ins to previous characters and you make it effective. I mean, I'm all for movies like that. I really, you lose me when you try and do too much with your original base characters and try and make them people that they're not. And or make a movie that's, or make, or make a movie or make a movie that's not good. Like the Cloverfield paradox. Yeah. So, you know, and you can't just attach it to anything. I mean, if they go out and try and make a quiet place, spinoff that is just like you know fear the walking dead with cliche characters and other things that aren't what made quiet place a quiet place then yeah i'm sitting there being like well what the heck are we doing here this is just you're just trying to milk the franchise but attaching the name to it but you, you mentioned Nichols, you mentioned all the other elements it has going for it that i mean it doesn't have any previous source material so you need someone who has a good original story and has prior success building an effective lore-based story with no previous source material just gets right into it and i think that i mean you look at his films you look at take shelter i mean you're, you're just thrust into a very you know a narrow view of someone either dealing with mental illness whatever you want to call it believing the world is going to end and not really getting the outside view of that world i, I mean i think nichols is a very very good pick for a movie like that as long as they don't try and go all in and make it like 28 days later type movie i, I think that a spinoff works like this but um i mainly came out of that movie thinking not hey i want a spinoff but i kept thinking hey all right now i'm actually really invested in what happens to these kids next i wasn't super invested after the first one and i also think emily blunt to the sidelines in this one and i i really think that the next movie needs to really focus more on what she's dealing with losing her husband her kids are growing up in a world that she never saw as a realistic possibility for kids to grow up in when she was having them and now she has another baby she's going to be a mother for 16 plus years on her own now i mean it, it's a scenario that no one really desires bringing life into a world consistently filled with death right now and i would like to see them go all in give me like an r-rated wolverine type movie but hmm. it's all about emily blunt going through depression while she becomes like a recluse and fends off these creatures as, as her kids six years later have gone and 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 built you know their own homes and she's taking care of a six-year-old little kid doing it all over again give me that type of movie honestly um I'm more interested to see where they follow this family next and wrap up their story, hopefully, than where they take any future spinoffs. I mean, the best thing for the Quiet Place universe is to turn it into a successful trilogy, in my mind, rather than extend it for years and years and years. And, and they, I think, have a really good chance of doing that after the second one. Well, yeah, I guess they'll. I guess they'll certainly have the chance to do that. And uh, one other thing, I will say though, I, I, did, Emily Blunt kind of got a, a good moment, you know, at the end during that last sequence when she was trying to save 
uh, Marcus from the monster there. And the one thing I did it myself, I didn't like about that cutting back and forth was that like, I was like in the moment, I was like really annoyed at the, at Marcus because like he had like gone up and just like snooped around and just made noise for no good reason. And I feel like at that point we already knew he was smarter than that in that like, I mean, those kids had to have like, honestly, like, especially after they saw what happened to their brother in the first movie, like they, uh, like they just had to like, they know how to survive in this world and how to, and the kid the whole movie was about taking a conservative approach and then he just goes and screws around just for the sake of the plot and that kind of like was grinded my gears a bit uh for that t- part of the movie even if like that whole sequence was like very well executed technically i was just like oh man i did not like that character choice i think you could have like put put him in peril without having him do something so stupid so that was like bothering me during that last sequence even if like i really liked what, that emily blunt got to do something but i agree she's capable of a lot if they end up uh, assuming they end up making a third movie, I think that like there will be plenty of more room for her to her to do something else. Because I mean, she's going to obviously have to play a big part in uh, trying to reunite with the other with with her with her daughter. So uh, I look forward to seeing how uh, what they do with that, and I'm sure we'll be back here talking about that in a couple years. Uh, Graham, any other final thoughts on the movie before we wrap up that we didn't touch on that you wanted to discuss? Ah, uh, you know, I hate that this movie in a sense is put into the genre of zombie movies because, you know, I don't think they get enough credit for having an original type monster. Hmm. So many people have done the tried and true version of aliens or zombies, the undead. They've done fast zombies. They've done slow zombies, but a creature that is, you know, has an, an unkillable type Kevlar coating on their entire body that moves like spiders. I, I, I think that many people don't fully give the true credit it deserves being effectively scary. You know, I, that terrifies me. The amount of teeth that the things have, how deadly they really are. I mean, kudos to them for creating a very original type villain in a sense here and um, also then finding some way believable to kill them you know I keep making the science comparisons in my mind because aliens and a practical way to kill them a household item obviously and in this one it's this little girl's cochlear implant which she was told her entire life was a disability holding her back and now it has given her a superpower here in a sense. So I think it's, you know, part of why these movies are so good is it comes up with a a villain that is not tried and true. It's original. And then it's a very believable motivation for the main character for why they'd be a relevant part. You know, how many movies do you see? And it just follows some random family that has nothing to do with what's going on. They just happen to be good at surviving. I mean, come on. This hmm. one actually has random survivors that end up being key to it and does it in a believable and original job. And I th- think that's why people like these movies. And I think we often forget why we like them. And and those are, I think, big elements for it. So I have to remind myself all the time, this is not a zombie movie. This is not... Yeah, 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 and, 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 and Walking I, Dead. Yeah, I know, and I, and I did evoke The Walking Dead because, hey, look, it does share some DNA, but it shouldn't be just kind of lumped in because it's unique in its own way. As we talked about, like, you know, regular old zombie movies, they, 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 they don't have what this has going for it. I mean, they have other 
positives, I suppose. But like, I think it's like just a very, very good idea that they've like milked a lot out of so far. Because uh, look, it just can it can it can drive tension in like other ways that it can derive tension for moments in ways that zombie movies can't because of just like you know the nature of these monsters and the whole sound thing. And uh, and I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, but uh, it's worth noting again because you just made that point. Like, uh, this family is unique in its own way too, and it's kind of it makes sense that they would be the ones standing because they already knew sign language and we see that actually in the first i was a little confused in the at the beginning of this movie because and I, I should say again that first sequence of this movie is very well done that flashback sequence it's just you it's just so efficient you get a great sense of that town and it's like really 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 like uh terrifying once like the attack starts but i don't i almost forgot and i had to remind myself i couldn't remember if marcus was deaf too because you see they're they're communicating like almost exclusively through sign language in that opening act of the of of a quiet place too and it's not because marcus is also deaf it's just because that's how they do it as a family out of like a to like make life better for their daughter who is deaf and that goes to show just like how well they would have like that just goes to show how well they would have known these uh how all how skilled the entire family already was in sign language and why they would have been able to adapt to this uh, post-apocalyptic world better than so many other people i think it's just very smart and it's kind of reminding you of how smart it was in that regard by showing them communicate with each other at that baseball game so. Yeah, I thought that was a good, effective add-on when you're doing a callback or a flashback, whatever you want to call it. That's a, a successful thing to show to remind people, listen, they didn't just suddenly learn sign language because, you know, hey, these monsters are deaf. This is a family that was preparing for this unknowingly for the last few years and is now able to utilize it with this advantage that many people didn't really see as one before this all happened. And I thought that was great. And, you know, if anyone can come out of it being like, Hey, I should learn sign language. And, you know, that's fantastic as well. I just really think that the movie did a very good job at covering all of its bases, not to use a baseball term here because the movie opens with that baseball scene, but it really thought of almost everything when it came to, how a character could be motivated, their personalities, what they're doing in this movie, how they're thinking, how they're reacting. And not all movies do that. It's something we absolutely take for granted here. Um, and it doesn't have cringy dialogue. I got to say that, man, because, because so there's, not many, a lot, there's not a lot of dialogue, though. <laughs> yeah. So so it really but it's worth noting, because if it if it had any cringy dialogue, we would remember it far more. And you don't really think much of the conversations after the movie because they're just natural. They are believable. And, you know, a conversation that you don't notice doesn't stand out to you is the sign of a good conversation, a really realistic one in my mind. And how many times in horror movies do we hear, you know, horrible, horrible cliches and one-liners or stupid jokes i mean man i went back and watched twister a few weeks ago if you want to watch a movie that tries to build suspense with the world's worst dialogue i mean go watch twister Hmm. i think we take for granted how dialogue in screenplays in especially horror thriller screenplays no longer is cliche takes the viewer out of the experience because it they've gotten really good at making it very believable. And this movie just continues to show that. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that pretty well covers it. Graham and I would both recommend this movie. I don't know if we talked as much about the theater aspect of it as we would have. We touched on it, but I would just say, I'm, I'm assuming anyone that's still listening already saw it in a theater, but I would just like encourage anyone else in your life that's thinking about seeing it to make make sure they do so in a theater. The, the the windowing requirement for like the theaters versus when it goes on in demand is you know decreased a lot. It used to be ninety days, and now it's forty five right now at this point. It might expand back later in the pandemic, but like if you if you're talking to someone that can afford to go see a movie in a theater, it can do so safely. And they're like, ah, oh, I'll just wait for it to come on demand. Like tell them to go see it in a theater. Like the theaters need help, and this movie is very much enhanced by the theater experience. And I think Graham would agree with that. Absolutely, I saw it in RPX. So I went, I went, I went, and I went, and I went in IMAX. So the sound was on point. I mean. It was visually beautiful, obviously, but also it was the first theater type experience that I'd had in 16 months. I mean, the seats were still separated by one or two in between every group, but there was, I think, every section of seats taken. And and you heard people talking, audibly gasping at the jump scares that I was mentioning earlier. You you had people uh, shocked. You heard that uh, that audible gasping. I mean, my girlfriend did it several times. And, you know, it's a movie where the sound you want to be kind of you want to feel the sound and you don't get that at home and as you said earlier you know a movie that you're not going to be talking too much in you're you're going to be listening and and awaiting as the tension builds that's what this movie is and when you're watching at home how often is it easy to sit there and talk or be on your phone and and be brought out of that feeling and yeah i i wanted to see this one in theaters and i'm glad i did all right, Graham, before we sign off, anything else? You, do, you, do you have anything you want to plug, whether it be something else people should be watching or just your social media or anything like that? I'm finally watching Mayor of Easttown. I know we don't talk too much TV, but finally getting around to uh, catch up on what people have been raving about, spoiling on social media. So Did, 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 you, did you have it spoiled for you, or have you been able to avoid actually having it spoiled? I have, I have avoided spoilers. All right, so good. I'm, I already watched it, so I won't say anything else, but I'm glad you're watching it. I really enjoyed it. But I'm going to plug one more yeah. that I don't think many people have seen. Um, and as a journalist, this really interests me, but I watched home before dark. I don't know what that is on Apple TV plus. It's a TV show on Apple TV plus it stars the young girl who was in Florida project Brooklyn Prince. Yep. Yeah. So she's only 11 years old and she plays this young nine year old girl named Hildy who it's based on a true story. She is a, plays this inquisitive nine-year-old girl who helped solve a real cold case in her town that she moved to. And it's a really good Apple TV show that I think just does not get a lot of credit that it deserves. It was for good. She's She carries the show. It also has Jim Sturgis from Across the Universe. Um, she carries the, the show, absolutely. A new season comes out June 11th, so right around the corner. Hmm part of why I wanted to watch it, but she is so good as this, you know, for an 11 year old actor, she is tremendous. And, um, it's, it's really believable. A lot of Nancy Drew type vibes, but actually, as I said, non cringy dialogue and believable characters, um, highly recommend it. I think, I think a lot of people have been sleeping on it. Yeah. I'll, I'll plug TV too. Cause I'm still like a little behind on the movies. I've just been like catching up on trying to finish some TV shows. Uh, and I, I don't think I've actually told people on here. I've, I've watched all but the last episode of Barry Jenkins, The Underground Railroad, uh, which is also on Am- which is on Amazon mm. Prime. And uh, it's, I mean, look, I'm not going to tell you it's the funnest, mo- the most fun sit 
at all times because again it's uh it's about slavery and escaping from slavery and uh some bad people trying to hunt down people trying to escape from slavery and it's still like it's just so well done and some of it is actually like you know some of it's actually hopeful and um and really and it's just beautiful to look at which shouldn't be surprised when barry jenkins is working with his normal collaborators uh but look it's 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 just so well done and i think it's uh very insightful about uh, just everything that was going on in that time, but in some ways feels unfortunately fairly relevant today. So I uh, highly recommend anyone check that out. And just if you if, if you think you can if you think you can handle something kind of dark, then I definitely think it is worth a shot. Some of the episodes are pretty long, and then a couple of them are actually kind of short. So, uh, but I mean, it, it is it's about a ten hour time commitment. So uh, take that for what it's worth. But I definitely think it is worth it because uh, Barry Jenkins put like two years of his life into this thing, and you can tell it's done with a lot of care and a lot of attention to detail detail so yeah i uh i actually i don't know how much you know about this you know we're kind of getting off the rails but barry jenkins is a huge uh florida gators fan yes we've talked about this before i still don't Uh, i still don't understand how given that he grew up in miami in the 80s when the u is at its height and he went to florida state but he is inexplicably a gator fan yeah um i i hate to admit this but i still need to watch all of the underground railroad um but i absolutely plan on doing it yeah as soon as possible yeah, no, I, I, it's, I, I highly recommend uh, doing so, and I'll be curious to see what you think because um, I don't want to say I've enjoyed it, but I've greatly appreciated it because uh, it, it's hard to enjoy <laughs> something where uh, where the, the story goes to such intense and dark places, but definitely, uh, definitely worth checking out because, I mean, it's clearly someone that is just like – um, just has a group of collaborators that are clicking on all cylinders and creating something that's very worthwhile. So, uh, Graham, thanks again for joining us. I'm very excited you're back in the theaters and you've now been able to join us for two of our last four episodes. And uh, hopefully there'll be some stuff later in the summer or later on this fall that you'll be able to come back for. And I appreciate the time as always. My pleasure, man. I'm sure there will be a lot coming out now that the floodgates have opened here uh i know that we'll find something soon to talk about yep uh and everyone else thanks for listening uh i'm about to go on vacation and i'm gonna like to los angeles actually uh, to los angeles my first real vacation in a long time so i'll probably see in the heights when i'm there but like there's not a lot of other like new releases there but in the heights will probably be the next episode and i'll who knows maybe i'll come across some other interesting stuff when i'm going to explore los angeles movie theaters that'll be worth talking about so stay tuned for in the heights and who knows what's next uh but i mean we'll obviously have something uh the, the week after that too so everyone thanks for listening and we'll see you next time